Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week we'll be talking about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in school and to empower parents. In a world where there's less guidance, less money, more demand and constant changes, teachers, Senkos and leaders need a way to keep up that fits in with their lives and the Sendcast is the answer. In this episode, our guest is Wendy Lee. She is a speech and language therapist with over 30 years experience in a wide range of settings. Wendy's going to be talking about the language and literacy link. This is the impact that pupils' language difficulties has on their literacy. Wendy was a professional director of the Communications Trust until 2015, being involved in a range of projects as well as inputting on the national literacy policy and research. Wendy is currently director of Lingo, which provides consultancy, professional development resources and speech and language therapy. But before we get started, have you heard of the Virtual Send Conference? This is a conference we started running back in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easier to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch the videos whenever you need to. For more information on the conference, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. And at the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save money when you purchase access. Now on with the podcast. Welcome to the show, Wendy. Thank you for having me. It seems rather obvious that people's language difficulties will impact on their literacy difficulties. Is there an issue around guidance on this, or is it down to the pressure for schools to focus on the reading, the writing, and the math for SATs? That means that this is where schools are focusing and they're not looking at the wider picture. Yeah, I think there is huge pressure on schools uh, in terms of supporting pupils to get to the right levels for their literacy skills, you know, particularly reading and writing. And I think it just gets more difficult to identify children's language difficulties almost the older that they get. So when the children are very little, if you know, if they don't have good language, it's easier to spot because they don't have as much language to start with. So when children get into key stage two, when they're able to put sentences together and understand the majority of what's going on or pick up on other cues, it's it's harder to to identify the specific language difficulties they might be experiencing. I guess my experience is that if children in schools are struggling with literacy, uh, what tends to happen is a literacy intervention or some literacy strategies are put in place to support that, which is is fully understandable and, and seems appropriate. I think what happens less regularly is the question asked around, could the literacy difficulties have their foundation in limited language skills or poor language skills or language difficulties? And therefore, would it be beneficial for the children to have a language intervention or language support rather than or alongside a literacy intervention? So it's not a uh, lovely, obvious, this is, this is this child will definitely have a language issue. It's really varied. It's not going to be, it'll be the quiet one or... It's hugely varied. So uh, I suppose the best thing to do is to think about how language and literacy are linked. So if you think about reading, for example, so what children need to do is they see marks on a page, they have to be able to decode those marks. So when they see... At, they need to be able to decode it and work out that that says cat and obviously build that up into, into so that they can decode whatever's on the page. In terms of the links with speech and language, we know that underlying phonological awareness skills really impact on the ability of children to read. So if children have got poor phonological awareness skills, 
Um, so poor understanding of rhyme, poor manipulation of rhyme, poor understanding of alliteration or syllable structure, a lack of ability to generate or to manipulate any of these things. So that whole awareness of the sounds rather than the letters that then impacts on their ability to decode because they don't have a strong foundation to build their phonics skills on if their phonological awareness skills are poor. So there's lots and lots of evidence around um, how phonological awareness really does link to children's reading ability, again, not just through primary but into secondary school. So there's links between those early phonological awareness skills and later literacy skills right through education. You know, that's the first thing. I very rarely see schools working explicitly on phonological awareness skills. I see less rhyme and stories and and kind of playing around with sounds than I probably did 10, 20 years ago. You know, the focus very much in the early of uh, literacy is around phonics, so teaching children the links between sounds and letters rather than building those strong uh, foundations of the speech sounds and then linking them to letters. There's a phase one phonics for letters and sounds seems to be skirted across much more, not in all schools, um, but really kind of building those foundations, I think, is important to allow the children to have that strong foundation that they can build um, phonics on top of and then they're able to decode effectively. So that's the kind of decoding side of reading. And obviously, children with speech sound difficulties can have poor phonological awareness skills. So they can be at higher risk of struggling with those skills. So again, for those children in particular, it's important to build to build those skills up. So that's just decoding. It's not reading, it's, it's decoding. The other important side of reading is obviously understanding texts. So uh, you look at some print on a page, you read it out loud, and then you need to be able to understand what, what it is that you've read. So again, the links with children's language is that if children have poor understanding of grammar, if they have limited vocabulary, if they have poor understanding of language concepts, all of those things are going to impact on their text comprehension. So if they don't understand the spoken word, even if they can decode, they will struggle to understand the written word. And so those strong links between the two, it's like flip sides of the same coin. And if you don't understand when somebody says cat to you, even if you can read it, you might not then be able to conjure up what a cat is. In theory, it's like that um, very simple, follows a two-step instruction. Yes. That's that's the verbal, that's the uh, oral way of doing things, but there's also the written is then actually within that sentence what the two important, same thing. But that's the sort of the receptive side, so the actual sitting there, the reading, um, the coding and the the comprehension, but there's also there's expressing. So how does the language literally link, how does that affect the expression? So again, if children struggle to say a sentence, they're going to struggle to write a sentence. So again, those two things link directly to each other. Language is language is language. You know, it's, it's, it's what we kind of, we start off learning spoken language from our caregivers uh, kind of interacting with us and so on. And then we develop these language skills in terms of, as I say, vocabulary and grammar and narrative skills. We then develop inferencing skills and reasoning and so on. Um, And so if we can't string a sentence together or we can't make a nice long sentence, you're unlikely to see that in children's written language. If, for example, you can't 
um, tell a story or um, have a conversation about what's just happened at the weekend, you might see children really struggling to have a coherent text. So they might be a bit all over the place. So they might start with what happened in the middle and then tell you a little bit about what happened at the beginning. And then you might get a bit of a an end point or you might just get kind of lists almost of things that happened rather than a really nicely structured narrative with coherence of, you know, this happened at the beginning and that links all the way through the story. And so, you know, those children that struggle to do that verbally will most certainly to, uh, struggle to do that in the in the written format. So, as I say, really direct links between certainly what I see f- in terms of children's spoken language, I do see reflected into their written uh, language also. So those direct links between the two. Well, that list is quite a common one. So what did you do at the weekend? Just give that nice short list as you're saying it, that's going to reflect in their writing. Yeah, so if, if a child says, you know, I don't know, went to McDonald's, went to the park, played football. If that's what they tell you that they did at the weekend, then probably that's what you'll see on the written page. Whereas if you've got a child who can set the scene, oh, well, me and my brother, you know, we went, walked down to the park. It was a windy day. Then we, you know, then we got a bit tired. So we had a bit of a rest and then we went. So, you, you know, the, again, if you if they can do it verbally, you're much more likely to see that coherent narrative structure in their written work. And as I say, I think what I what I tend to see in in schools where children are struggle struggling with their literacy skills is very much a focus on literacy, which is totally understandable. But we know because of those direct links, if we were f- to focus on children's spoken language, that that can impact on on literacy. So, there was a project done a number of years ago by York University where they. They did some work on children's reading comprehension. So they they had a, a whole group of children across the district who struggled with comprehending texts. And they did a research study where they, they looked at three groups of children. One group of children had an intervention that was just around oral language, just the spoken language. A group of children that had just uh, around the literacy, the written word, um, a control group and then a mixed group. And what they found is that the children... Um, that had the oral language intervention made equally good progress in their literacy, in their reading comprehension, as the children who had the work directly on their reading comprehension, which is great. Um, But what they found when they went back a year later is that those children that had had the oral intervention, oral language intervention, actually had done better than the children that had the, the literacy intervention. Because what you're doing with supporting the children's spoken language skills is building their understanding of the language you're not building their understanding of the text which is kind of slightly different so you know I think what I see a lot in schools is is sometimes tricks to help children understand you know work it out this way or here's a strategy when actually I think sometimes what we need to do is build their understanding build their understanding of the spoken words and then you know children will have a better chance of then applying that to the written word in a wider range of contexts than just, you know, almost strategies to kind of work it out, if you like. I suppose with that oral communication, the verbal, the vocal, is actually that what they're going to use more of? Well, yeah. I mean, in life, we we talk more than we write. Um, In school, we learn how to write more than we learn how to talk. You know, it's just the way that it is. But actually... It's important to build that understanding of language for children because they'll use it throughout their education. The bonus is it has this big impact on their reading comprehension. And 
because schools are very concerned with how children understand the written word and because they want children to get better at writing, it's a good way to go. It's a good way to kind of think about it. It just feels quite scary, I think, for lots of schools because their expertise is less around the spoken word than it is about the written word. They maybe don't have the kind of range of strategies that they do for the spoken word as they do for the written word. And so they'll support children with poor literacy by giving them more literacy, whereas actually sometimes, not for all children, but for for many children, it's worth thinking about actually does language sit underneath this? Uh, What kind of language deficits sit underneath this? What can we do, therefore, to support the children's language? And therefore, you know, how might that impact on the literacy? So we do a range of work with schools where we're identifying children with poor language and we're building on things like their vocabulary skills. So we don't just teach them words. We teach them a strategy to learn new words. So it's supporting those children who've got poor vocabulary to learn new vocabulary in a better way than they currently do. We teach them about understanding grammatical structure. So do you know the difference between walk and walked? What is the difference? Why is it different? How is that How is that different? What impact does that have on your understanding of what's going on? We'll teach the children how to seek clarification when they're not sure. So recognise when they don't understand a text or a, a spoken word and then know what to do about it. So if you're reading a text and there's something that you're not sure of, how are you going to work that out? How are you going to build that understanding so that you kind of have a, a better knowledge of it? And if you can't work it out, what are you going to do about it? Um, you know, how do you want to seek some clarification? And we do work around some of those higher order language skills. So things like, can you use your language to predict what might happen next? It's a higher order language. It's using inference. It's using those prediction skills. And specifically and explicitly teaching the children how to do that, not just giving them practice at it give them some strategies, teach them how to do it, and then apply it. Apply it to the spoken word, apply it to the the written word. Things like teaching children how to question, because asking a good question is a really, really hard linguistic skill. So what does that look like? How can you formulate a question? How do you know whether somebody's got the answer right? Those kinds of things. And also supporting the children to do things like summarize what they've understood or learned so you read a chapter okay what was it about children find children with language difficulties find that incredibly challenging and giving them some strategies to develop the skill to do that they can then use going forward so if you think every exam that you've ever taken what do you have to do well you have to summarize your knowledge and then apply it it's really supporting the children to do that by teaching them it. So in the same way that a teacher might teach children about the fire of London or about, you know, Roman invasion or whatever it might be, we're giving the children the skills to do all of those things around understanding and using the language to, to write as well as to talk. I suppose with all of those, listening to you talk about all the different ones, I'm, I'm literally picturing that in, in the context of writing. And schools are really good at modelling that writing and as you said, summarise or tell this story in your own words and uh, why does a character, and you're literally doing that in a written, but actually in schools, as you said, there's not much language going on. So the language isn't being modelled very well. And that's kind of what you were talking about in that support is there's a lot of modelling going on and providing opportunities. I mean, I think it's it, it's a step-by-step thing of let's teach them what it is. So what do we mean by summarising? What do you understand by that? Do you really know what that looks like? Do you know what it means? Do you know what the word means? Can you apply it in 101 different contexts? So what does it mean first? Then it is about 
teaching them how to apply that meaning to that sentence, that passage, that chapter, what you did at the weekend, that topic, and then really trying to get them to utilize that concept really in lots of different ways so that they really got that in-depth understanding of what that means. And that then applies to the written word. So you can do it in lots of different ways, but it is a real step by a small step approach. You guys know about that B squared. You know, <laughs> it is about, you know, this is the step. What's the next tiny next step on? It's not a case of, you know, here's a passage, summarize it, here's some top tips. It really is. So what do we mean by that? How does it what does that look like? How does it apply in different contexts? And lots of children with special needs do struggle with kind of once they've learned a concept, thinking about, well, does that apply to this subject? Does that apply to this area? Does that apply to that context? And it's giving them the practice at that. So it's a, it's a balance between very explicit teaching in a very structured way and then lots and lots of practice and then reflection. Do you know that? How do you know it? Show me you know it. Demonstrate that you know it. Apply it to this. And that process, it takes time, but actually really supports in-depth understanding of not just what you happen to be reading now, but the skills that you need to read that or to read this or to understand this or to understand that. So it's a skill set that can be applied across lots of different contexts. I'm just listening. It's really important. So, so doing this in the realms of language rather than literacy, is if you're saying, oh, um, have you seen the latest Marvel film? Yeah, what happens? You're summarizing, you're picking out the key points. What did you do at the weekend? How was your holiday? Oh, you read that book. Okay, so I'm up to, and just it's just all that you're doing the same stuff but you're doing it in that language rather than in literacy and it is going to be a skill they're going to use throughout their life in everything yeah completely so it it, it you know it, it is about supporting the children to do something in their spoken language that's going to be really helpful and useful but as i say the bonus the icing on the cake is that actually that supports them with their understanding of literacy and their understanding of other things in the classroom it's it's a really important skill set and I think sometimes we give children practice at doing those things but we don't teach them how to do it and that's the difference children with speech language and communication needs language difficulties we have to teach them how to do it because if they were going to pick it up they would have done it you know so sometimes we do have to teach children how to infer we have to say you know if somebody says he grabbed his coat and ran for the door. What does that mean? Well, how do you know that he's in a hurry? You know, what are the clues? What does that look like? Let's see if we can work it out together. Can you give me another example of somebody who's in a hurry without telling me? You know, it's those kinds of teachings, but also practices uh, that really support the children to move forward. Again, inferring that and doing all that is into social and emotional. Well, absolutely. I mean, in terms of social interaction, particularly as children get older, there's so much that's reading between the lines. How do you know that someone's a bit upset with you? How do you know people are bored with your conversation? How do you know that somebody's really interested? How do you know that they're desperate to join in in that conversation? Nobody says that. You know, That's all about watching for the social cues and learning those social cues. And some children need to be taught those explicitly because it's very difficult for them to pick it up. Part of it is noticing it. I know there's door times with my daughter where she's noticed something but hasn't put the dots together. Yeah. So this happened. I'm like, all right, because this one, I don't know, this happened, yeah? So why did that person do that? I don't know. Well, let's, why would you do that? It's like, because of this. Right, so if you did this, what would that mean? She went, oh, 
it's a very, when you actually join those things, it's a very different thing. And being able to do that, not in a paper format, because that's in books and that's your literacy and all that, but actually doing it in the life life you're living, that language, using all of that, it's, it's huge. It's, and it's going to affect you, the social and the emotional. It's huge, huge. It's a tool. It's a requirement for them. Yeah, it's really important. And I think... You know, as parents, what we do with what we do to support our children is is kind of scaffold that, isn't it, and help them work out the clues when it comes to the social stuff. I think what we do as teachers is again try to scaffold that 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 language and that information so that they can access the literacy. I mean, I think the other thing that's really important with children's uh, literacy skills is that if you read and you don't understand what you've read. It's not a particularly motivating scenario to be in. And so for children to be able to either seek clarification or to develop some skills to to enable them to understand what they read, that really in, improves on the motivation. So we do we, we talk a lot, don't we, about some children, uh, they're just not into books, they just don't want to read, they've got no pleasure from reading. And sometimes, you know, that might be to do with the... Uh, the content of the books it might be to do with the fact that they just have it in their heads that they're boring or they haven't experienced family members looking at, at, at books and so on but it might be for some children that they're just not getting much out of it because they're not understanding it and we know i don't know if you've ever read something that you've had to read but it's really dull it it's hard work you know you need to read some computing books and they're <laughs> the most dullest thing i really don't need to do that so no, you to okay. sleep but you've <laughs> got to read them <laughs> but yeah, motivation is a big thing. And if we can support children to feel more motivated because they understand what they're eating and they're getting some pleasure out of it, then um, that's also a sort of part of the part of the picture. I, I'm trying to think back to my daughter. Who, who, my daughter doesn't enjoy reading, and I'm still trying to work out why. Because she loves me reading the stories. So, and we read, we've read six books of two, two series, which are both six books long. We've read but all of them. She loves it and she knows where we're up to and we ask conversations. So she obviously enjoys the story, but she won't read herself. I think sometimes, I know one of my uh, children struggles with, when she reads, it, it, it's a very slow process for her because she has got um, some sort of elements of dyslexia and so she has to it takes her a long time and so it, she has to be really resilient you know she has to kind of really work hard at it and her understanding is great your daughter's understanding is great and actually sometimes it's nicer just to hear it rather than to kind of work hard at it but the children need to develop that as well they need to develop to be resilient in terms of their reading and push through even if things are a little bit you know hard work or whatever um, and the same with their writing you know your hand aches if you write for a long time if you're not used to it it's kind of practicing doing that as well so uh, teachers have got a lot in that on their hands in terms of all of the different aspects of literacy skills in terms of reading decoding and understanding and the writing side of things but I do feel that there is not enough emphasis placed on the spoken language skills that underpin a lot of reading and writing and that that would really benefit the children to to teach some of those aspects teach vocabulary strategies to teach um some of the things that are spoken about already because actually in the long term that's really going to support the children's literacy skills as well as their spoken language that's, it is a big focus in the early years there's a lot of speech there's a lot of conversations it kind of does drop out by the time they get to year one i mean certainly in terms of the data that, that schools have got to collect in the early years they collect um data around communication and language for the early years foundation stage profile and really in primary, in the curriculum, there are 
12 attainment targets that children have got to achieve between year one and year six. There's not a lot of specific guidance around what that looks like. So there's no huge kind of motivation for teachers to put a lot of focus on it or for senior leaders to because there's no measures in place. And so it's easy for it to kind of fall off the bottom of the list when you're very busy. But in real terms... For the children who are struggling with their literacy skills, a focus on language is, is for many of them, a, a really good idea. And thinking about what that needs to look like for their children is worth uh, thinking through. So again, the same process for many, for many other types of special educational needs. If children uh, do have some literacy difficulties, it's assessing not just their literacy, but their language. So where is their language? Is it at the same level as their literacy? Is it lower still? Do we need to kind of build those language skills in order for them to be able to to read and understand and to and to write? What might that look like? So in terms of the planning, do they need specific aspects in terms of vocabulary or grammar? Is it narrative? Um, is it other aspects of higher order language like inference and prediction and reasoning and so on? So really thinking about planning for where that work would fit having a go, doing doing the doing, is it working for the children and then that kind of review process at the end. So it's that same process, but instead of focusing completely on the written word in literacy and in reading and the writing, asking the questions around, could it be language that's underpinning this? Could it be phonological awareness that's getting in the way of the children achieving good phonics skills? So again, what I see a lot of times in schools is when children don't do well in phonics, they get more phonics teaching. You know, I think sometimes it's useful to step back and think, actually, do they need more phonics? Do they need that letter and sound uh, practice? Or would they benefit from more phonological awareness work, which ultimately would give them a stronger foundation for their phonics, which then might come easier when they get to it. If the children are struggling to understand the text, do they need more practice at that? Or do they need actually an in-depth understanding of different aspects of language? Do they need vocabulary? Do they need other aspects of that and so on? So it's really asking those questions and planning for that. So in terms of support, obviously, as you mentioned, there's very little in the primary curriculum. There's, there's, no, there's very little around spoken language. There's loads around literacy. I think the important thing is for teachers and senior leaders to, to really understand that link so we know, for example, that children who have identified SLCN, and bearing in mind there are lots of children that are not identified in our schools. So in our school system, according to the research, there are 7.6% of children with developmental language disorder. Um, according to the school PLASC data, there are 2.5% of children with SLCN. So there's a massive mismatch in the numbers of children identified and the numbers of children we know that are out there according to the research. So the first question is to ask, you know, could the literacy difficulties be a symptom of underlying language needs, whether that be developmental language disorder, other uh, language disorders or just language difficulties? You know, is it a kind of symptom that we're looking at rather than a, a kind of core need? If it is, then... What is the nature of that language need and what do we need to do in order to support the language, which will therefore make acquiring literacy easier for those children? 
So where can schools get that support around later? You've got to see the speech language therapists. Well, I think the first thing to do is there is lots of information. So the Education Endowment Foundation um, have provided guidance on uh, how to support literacy in all children. And they, their sort of particular area is around children who are on pupil premium. So it's looking at children who are living in areas of social deprivation. And again, we know that those children are much higher risk of having language difficulties. Each of their guidance documents from the early years right through to secondary, highlight the importance of the spoken language element of literacy teaching. So it's used, there's lots of information out there around those links and and how important they are and what they look like and how to support that. So it's about developing the children's speaking and listening skills, building up that understanding, etc. There are other sources of information out there in terms of academic information. So that, that big piece of research that I mentioned about around reading comprehension at York University, we've got some links to kind of um, blogs and so on that really show how uh, those two things link together and what to do about it. And then, yes, if you have got children with poor language skills, if you've identified a language difficulty, referral to your local services, um, looking on some of the websites that are out there, so the Communication Trust and others, um, that kind of give you more information about what children should be doing at different ages and stages. So there are free documents on the Communication Trust website to download in terms of what children should be doing. There's a, um, a booklet called Universally Speaking. It tells you what children should be doing in terms of their language from it's a booklet for not to five-year-olds, there's one for five to 11-year-olds, and there's one for 11 to 18-year-olds that look at the progression of language right across the board. And if your children aren't doing broadly what you think they should be doing for their age, then yes, seeking that additional support. It might be a speech and language therapy assessment. And if your therapists do come in, really thinking about how to link the work of, of uh, the language input with the literacy work. What about parents? So parents, can obviously, they can do modelling, they can have those conversations and all that sort of stuff. And I suppose if they've got concerns, go talk to the school. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, there's lots of research around, uh, in terms of literacy, just having books in the house. Um, having literacy behaviours around children can uh, encourage them. So things like writing lists, when you go shopping, write a list, give one to your child, you have one. Things like looking at magazines, uh, looking at newspapers, having books, whatever comes through the door has got written stuff on it. You know, ha- having those literacy behaviours so that children kind of understand that books are important. And again, we know in areas of uh, social deprivation, that's uh, there are fewer books in people's homes. And so children don't have that kind of understanding of you know, books and what they look like and looking at the pictures and that kind of thing. I think, you know, I've worked with a lot of parents that are quite anxious about reading with their children and sharing books, quite often because their literacy skills aren't particularly strong either, but actually just sitting with children and looking at pages in a book and talking about what you can see is a incredibly valuable. You don't have to read the book. You don't have to read it from cover to cover. You can spend, if your child doesn't like sitting still for very long, you know, two minutes on the sofa looking at a picture and go and play, you know, finish on a high. It's nice to have reading as part of the bedtime routine. It's a calming thing if your children, uh, once your children kind of get interested in it. So having all of those things going on at home is really helpful. You know, just having your children mark, make and and, and sharing some of that. We used to do loads of that, you know, drawing around each other's hands and funny faces in there, just kind of getting those things, sorts of things going. But yeah, if you do have concerns about your child's literacy, or your child's language, if it's a literacy difficulty, talking to the class teacher, you know, if you're worried that then, you know, then they're not wanting to read or they're struggling, that's the first port of call. If you're worried about your child's language, 
There are, again, those booklets that I mentioned. There's also um, a language tracker on the ICANN website, on the Talking Point website, where you can go in. There's lots of questions there about what um, your child should be doing at different ages, and it gives you some advice on what to do about it. ICANN have also got a helpline if you, you know, have concerns. So um, there is lots of information out there, but I think the important thing is just to ask the question. If, if there are some difficulties with literacy, if children are not doing well with their phonics, just to ask the question, could language be at the foundation of this? If that is done kind of consistently across the piece, I think that would make a huge difference to children with language difficulties. I remember because children will always reflect what they see in their parents. So it's important what they have in the books around the house is the children see you reading. That's a big thing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, that books are seen as, as something that, that are interesting and, and fun. So, yeah, definitely kind of trying to do that at home too. It's, so reading it and then telling your children what you've read. So um, there's a book, one of my favourite books is a book called Ready Player One, which is futuristic, techie, great, but also at the same time it's 80s retro. So it's amazing. I love it. And I read it and I talked about it with my kids and um, my oldest has read it as well because she heard me talking about it and she's like, oh, I like the sound of that. So she's dived in and read it and we have conversations around the book because we can because yeah. we've read the same book. Yeah. Um, and my youngest, one of her favourite books, which I can't stand because it, it takes ages, but it's a book called You Choose. So first page, what would you wear? And it's just pictures of cartoon clothes and you're picking an outfit. So it's those shoes and that hat. And we just take care of her. And it's like, well, what happens if you're going to, it's all the contextualization and where would you like to live and all this stuff. I mean, it's, it's a big, long discussion. Because mm. like, you choose that. So why have you chosen that? And you'll come up with some reason. She says, why have you chosen that? And this is it's lots of conversation that happens around why you're choosing things, which is always great fun. Yeah. It and, takes ages. Yeah. And uh, the, again, the, there's lots of really strong evidence around that kind of um, sharing of books at home that has, uh, you know, a really sort of strong impact on children's language development. And it isn't about necessarily starting at the beginning of a book and reading the story all the way through to the end. It's absolutely about the conversations that you have. It's absolutely about making it an interactive uh, process. So what do you think and why do you think that's happening and what do you think might happen next? And, you know, that's what really supports the language, the kind of the sharing of the book rather than the telling of it, I think. You have that emotional connection, which really helps and gives them that confidence to do more of it. Yeah, it's, it's not it's social, emotional, communication, attraction, all linked again. And generally, whatever they're learning in that world of language, they can generally apply to the world of literacy as well. Yeah, generally speaking, I mean, there are some children who have got excellent language skills who struggle enormously with their literacy skills, but we do know that there is a link between poor language and poor literacy. So it's not a panacea, but nothing is. There aren't uh, any silver bullets for any of this, but it is a, a good question to ask in terms of uh, children's poor literacy. Could, could language be the thing that's sitting underneath some of the difficulties that children have? You know, if they don't know words that they're reading, it's quite likely that they haven't got in-depth understanding of those words. And we know, for instance, that when children have weaker vocabularies, when they're reading, it takes them longer to read words that they don't fully understand. So if, for example, you come across a word like sob, and you can easily decode it because it's an easily decodable word, but you're not sure what it means. 
you'll hover over that word for a bit longer because you're trying to work it out. And so that impacts on the children's fluency of reading, um, which again is really important for, for teachers. You know, they want children to be fluent readers. If you have weak vocabulary or you don't have a good in-depth understanding of words, that's going to impact on the fluency of your reading. So there is a really strong argument. I stand on my soapbox on the, <laughs> with the horrible regularity about, you know, let's really think about supporting the children's language because that could really make a big difference to to their language and their literacy. And obviously unknown words is really going to hinder comprehension. Exactly, yeah. If they don't understand it, it's, you know, they might work it out through other words in the sentence. And again, you know, that's a good skill to have if you come across a word that you don't understand to be able to work it out. But actually, it's also good to be able to have a richer vocabulary and to have more robust ways of storing new words that you come across. And, you know, we can teach children how to do that in a better way when we explicitly teach those skills to the children and not just hope that they absorb them by being exposed to them. Looking over the things we have planned for this podcast, I think we've covered most of the things. But often the language disorder may be linked to other conditions as well. So if we think about language disorder, there are children who will have language disorder associated with other conditions. So you might have language disorder associated with um, learning difficulties or language disorder associated with autism. But then you can have a developmental language disorder where there are no other conditions involved. And those children have a language that is kind of, they're struggling to acquire their language and, and it's fairly persistent. They're going to have long-term difficulties. They're not just going to pick it up. And again, we know that the that children with developmental language disorder are at higher risk of having literacy difficulties than uh, children with typically developing language. So, yeah, as I said, I think only when you look at the SATs results, only 15% of children with identified SLCN get the SATs at the end of key stage two. So immediately you can see what massive impact limited language can have on the children's uh, literacy skills and the, and the math skills. It, it really does impact hugely. Yeah, I suppose because of my background, it baffles me that language doesn't have a more prominent role in the education system than it currently does. So has anyone done any research? You meant 15%, only, only 15% achieve. Has there any research where people have put a lot of focus on that for, that, for the group and how that's affected? any research around that? I mean there are research projects that look at different aspects of language so as I mentioned the the kind of the York University research that looked at reading comprehension and they, they did make a big difference to those children. I don't know of any research that's looked at SATS results but actually that's not to say that there's just there's something out there that I'm not aware of. It would be great wouldn't it to do some research around really supporting the children's language and seeing if that impacts on SATS. I mean certainly the work that we do when we work on children's language in key stage two we see huge uh, improvements in that and obviously you know looking at that kind of impact on, on literacy we would expect to see that too would make a great uh, sales pitch as a speech-language communication person, wouldn't it? Mm. 30% more pupils got this. It'd be great how to improve your league tables, how to get yourself yeah, speech-language therapist. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, we can just prioritise it because it's a good thing to do. It does. It, it makes a lot of sense. I do sometimes, uh, schools are an interesting world. Right, as you said, writing is so much more important in schools than the language, whereas most other places, the language is a more important skill than the literacy. And it's... Again, it's preparing for the test, getting them through the SATs, getting them through the GCSEs kind of is what's running schools, not necessarily what is the future for children. 
I mean, yeah, the, there is huge pressure, isn't there, on teachers to, and on head teachers in particular, to to get children to a certain level. You know, it's easy from the outside looking in saying, well, actually, if you did that, they might not get to that level then, but it would be better for them in the long term. Lots of the head teachers that I work with are incredibly brave. They take that leap and and they do work on the children's language, but it's I can understand that it's difficult. It is, because you are, if you, if you do get it wrong, yeah. it's not going to end well. Um, it's, it's a brave thing, but I do, I, I talked with um, Aaron Smith on a previous podcast talking about writing is he does a lot of his writing by dictating to his phone. So actually, he's not holding a pencil. He's not even using a keyboard. He's talking to his phone. So in that world, the language is the key there. Being able to all those skills in the language world, that's what's going to help him with his writing. Mm. It's not the holding the pencil. It's not doing it on a piece of paper. It's that. And it's, I think it's, it's, with technology changing, I think we need to change how we think about writing in schools. Um, when the uh, Rochford review happened, the initial, um, I can't remember what called, the, before we had pre-K, there was another is it, um, interim standards. With the writing, it actually focused on the physical writing ability, whereas which was ridiculous because actually that's one of the areas everyone struggles with. So why are we focusing on the writing, the actual physical part of it? Why not be focusing on the construction, the, 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 the storytelling or the composition and things like that. And when they rewrote them for the pre they did actually change it from moving it, looking at the physical letter control and all pencil and all that sort of, to what it actually is pupils are writing. So that was a good change, but there needs to, I think, more of it in schools. I mean, again, you know, I, I see a huge emphasis on phonics. You know, children have lots and lots of phonics teaching. And again, we know that phonics teaching helps children to decode. But for some children you know, they're not ready and the kind of foundations of phonological awareness will help them get ready. And sometimes, you know, those reasonable adjustments for some children are important so that they're not put in a situation where they are regularly failing because they're just not ready for that yet. And also, you know, decoding isn't reading. Decoding is decoding and reading is a combination of of that and understanding of texts. And again, just getting those balances right is you know, is really important for children. That phonological awareness. So it's phonological is a word I think I discovered only about a year ago when as we started developing our communication interaction, I assume that was just phonetics, but it's not. It's a very different thing. So sidetracking, but how much awareness of phonological is there? That as a, as a topic in schools, is there much yeah. understanding around that? I think it hugely varies. You know, I had a conversation with an early years teacher just a couple of weeks ago, and her knowledge about phonological awareness was was brilliant. And she did a lot of that in her in her setting. She provided activities that were embedded across continuous provision and also led by teachers that really supported the children with those skills. She she just knew her stuff. But I have been into earlier settings where people have never heard the term before. They are using phase one phonics, which some of which has got some phonological awareness skills in there, which is great. But having that understanding of what it is and how it impacts and just the level of research that there is around supporting those skills and the impact that it has on children's uh, literacy is, you know, again important for teachers to know but not part of their initial teacher training so you know where do they pick up that information where do they gather that knowledge because obviously all children are having that phonetic that phonics test at the end of year one yes so in theory that phonological part should be still going through year one as they're building up to that 
Yeah, I mean, definitely in the foundation stage. I mean, what I, I have seen more recently is a shift downwards for teaching phonics. So shifting into reception and in nursery. I was in a, a nursery recently where the school were teaching the children to, to sound blend. Now, some children are ready for that in nursery, but a lot aren't, you know. And again, nursery is the time for playing with sounds. It's the time for kind of building those phonological awareness skills. And when you look at typical development of phonological awareness, that it does carry on right through until children are kind of six or seven when they're manipulating much more complex kind of sound combinations. So, yeah, you know, that could go alongside the teaching of the letters and sounds together, which is the phonics element of it, and would lead to kind of really more stronger, more robust knowledge of 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 sound systems, which will help children to to decode so and to spell, which obviously is a big thing. So, are there any uh, key indicators that a child may be struggling with their phonological understanding? Well, you're looking out for whether children can um, recognise rhyme, whether they can um, generate rhyme. So, if you said cat, hat, mat, can they think of another one? Whether they can do things like spot the odd one out. So, if you said Cat, hat, mat, son. Can they? Do they know which ones you had one out? Can they tell you why? And be able to do those things in relation to rhyme, also in relation to alliteration, in relation to syllable structure. So it's really about identifying, generating, segmenting just about the sounds, not linked to the letters. Obviously, the links to the letters come, and they need that for phonics. And um, but the foundations are really around around that. So you can easily test that out with little ones because you just play around with it. You can test it out with older ones when you're doing your spellings and, uh, and kind of getting children to think about words that they're coming across in their books. So it's not a hugely difficult no. thing to do. But it's something if you're in year one, you've got children who are strugg struggling with those uh, phonetic phonics is going back to that phonological. Yeah, definitely. Just so, playing with that and going, oh, okay. Yeah. So if, if they can't sound blend in, in year one when you're getting ready for phonics, it's worth backtracking. Um, a really good document to look at is, again, the Communication Trust did a document called Communicating Phonics, and it basically breaks down what the phonics check means for children with a whole range of SEN. So there is information in there on children with developmental language disorder, with uh, selective mutism. I think there's one on children who stammer. There's children with uh, learning difficulties, uh, uh, nonverbal children. Um, so there's lots of information on what kinds of difficulties each of those groups of children might experience and what you could do about it. So as people are approaching the phonics check this year, it's really worth, it's free to download. You can just have a look at it. My advice would be don't try and print the whole thing out because it's huge. Um, so just uh, download and there are some summary tables at the beginning that are really worth just scanning over and, and seeing if that applies to your children. It's a, qu it's a quick check to kind of have a look at. Yeah, my, as a governor of stuff is people, um, you have to get the threshold and all that sort of stuff. I remember just hearing, oh, we're working on our phonics, we're working on our phonics. And there wasn't anything more than that. So when I learned about phonological, I was like, oh, okay, I wonder how many people are aware of this because it was, it was new to me and I'm not a teacher, so I'm not an expert. But I hadn't come across it in schools we've worked with or anything really. And either just I missed that conversation or there isn't the awareness out there of it. I wouldn't say that there is a consistent awareness of it out there. I have met some teachers that have got a really solid understanding of a solid knowledge and you see that in their practice. But I think it's a mixed picture. I think it's it, the teachers that, that know about it are probably because they've done some additional professional development or they've worked with other colleagues that have got good understanding of it. But it's definitely something that 
for literacy leads in schools to have a good understanding of, as is the kind of work that we're talking about in terms of the links between other aspects of language and other aspects of literacy. The evidence is so strong around the links, it's, it's definitely something for literacy leads to get their heads around. Right, so I'm going to wrap up the podcast. So a big thank you for coming on the show today. It's always, always, I love these. Uh, I always say that at the end of every podcast, but it is, I've, I'm, I learned so much on each of these podcasts. I listen and it's just taking my knowledge further on all of this and hopefully we're helping others with their knowledge and we're going to make a difference to pupils um, in schools. Um, so the links that Wendy's mentioned will be going in our show notes. So um, hopefully you can go find those, including the Communication Trust. Is it Communicating Phonics? Yeah. That's going to be going in there. So you'll be able to find the show notes on our website at www.thesendcast.com. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesendcast.com, where you can also sign up to our newsletter to keep up to date. Uh, you can also follow us on the various social media platforms, so on Twitter, uh, at The Sendcast. On Facebook, The Sendcast, on Instagram, The Sendcast, and LinkedIn. Just search for Sendcast and you'll find us. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, let us know your thoughts, any feedback, any suggestions, or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. If you'd like to get in contact with Wendy, uh, if you want to sort of use her company, Lingo, you can go to their website, which is www.lingospeech.co.uk. You can email Wendy at wendy at lingospeech.co.uk and you can follow Wendy on Twitter at lingo underscore speech. So that's the analysis from the podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed the Sendcast, why not look into the virtual Send conference? This is a conference that, like the Sendcast, is run by B Square, but it covers all aspects of SEND. What makes this conference different to the other conferences is how it's accessed. We broadcast our conference over the internet so you don't have to travel anywhere, the conference comes to you. We run the conference twice a year in March and November, and each conference has 12 highly valuable sessions designed to help you with each session having something you can take away. You can buy tickets for future events or past events. The videos are always available, and the cost for each conference is around £60, uh, and this covers the entire school, not per person. And As a listener to the Sendcast, we can give you a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10. So it's a big thank you from me for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. So it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.